Welcome to Tell Me About It, Episode 9. Today, my guest is Jessica Zelenka. Jessica is a Canadian heptathlete and 100-meter hurdler. She's a two-time Olympian and has competed throughout the years, winning many, many medals and awards. To name a few, the gold at the 2007 Pan American Games, silver at the 2014 Commonwealth Games, and she placed fourth at her first Olympic Games in Beijing, where she set a new Canadian heptathlon record. After returning from having a baby in 2009, Jessica rebroke her Canadian record and won the 100-meter hurdle at the 2012 Canadian Trials to compete at the London Olympic Games. And now she started a coaching and mentorship business where she shares her expertise and knowledge through workshops, training programs, and online mentorship programs. (sighs) I'm out of breath. (laughs) So thank you so much for being here, Jessica. I really appreciate it and I'm honored to have you on the podcast. Thank you. It's my pleasure. Um, just to clarify, a heptathlon, first of all, am I saying it right? And I know it's seven, correct? Mm-hmm. Seven events. Can you tell us which seven events those are? Yeah, absolutely. So heptathlon's the event. I'm a, I was a heptathlete. The men do decathlon, which is 10. So many people have heard of decathlon. It's one of the originals. Mm -hmm. Um, So the seven is always in the same order over two days, all track and field. I don't bike. I don't swim. You do not want me to see those (laughs) (laughs) do those sports. It's 100 meter hurdles, high jump, shot put, 200 meters. And then the second day is long jump, javelin and 800 Mm. meters. Wow, that's intense. Just to knock us out at the end. (laughs) We're all lying on the track, dead. It's a horrible scene. Um, What's your favorite one out of those seven? The hurdles, for sure. I've always been very natural at the hurdles, and it's been one of my best. Nice. Let's just start with your childhood. So tell us a little bit about what your childhood was like, and were you always super athletic growing up? And at what age did you start knowing that this is what you wanted to do? Yeah, um, so I... I had two older sisters and we all were very athletic and Mm. I started with like the the sports my parents put us in were figure skating was the first one because I had an aunt who was very involved in figure skating she's like oh you should put them in figure skating so Mm. we did that and I realized it wasn't very flexible but I loved the athletic part of it Mm -hmm. and um, it wasn't until grade four that I got to try track and field that's when we got to do it in school so Mm -hmm. very low-key we had track and field day and we got he had to go through all the events and do all the events and I just I loved it and I saw my sisters do it uh, before me and I couldn't wait until it was my track and field day when I got Mm -hmm. in grade four so that's how I was exposed to track and field and um, I just uh, you know I just I loved it because it's I love the individual aspect of what you put in you get out so Mm -hmm. I would go and practice on my own and like see personal bests instantly at that age right and Mm -hmm. you knew it was a personal best because they measured it right Right. unlike in a team sport you're just like I think I played well um so I love that that's what motivated me to see how much further I can improve in all the events even the events that I weren't as good as in the other ones so so that's kind of how I got into track And then at what age did you know that you wanted to start training for the Olympics? Yeah, that's that's a good question (laughs) because a lot of people think that every person, every athlete that's been to the Olympics had these big aspirations. Yeah. And it's not like I didn't, but I was almost told before I could even realize for myself that this is something I could do in sport. Mm -hmm. So I did track and I was very good at it because I loved it and I loved doing it. Um, Meanwhile, you know, I I honestly didn't realize that um, 
people had such high expectations of me until I read like at the year end your year yearbook, mm-hmm. right? So my last year of elementary school, grade eight. I come home, I can't wait to read all the comments my friends wrote, right? Yeah. And it's just like, can't wait to see you at the Olympics, <laughs> gonna be at the Olympics one day. I was like, almost a little disappointed. I was, you know, hoping for a little crush remarks or like, you're a really fun person. Um, but it was just all about my athletic ability. And I was like, okay, well, I kind of like wrote that contract with myself at that time. I guess this is what's expected of me. Yeah. This is what I gotta do to be seen as successful in my life. So here we go. Seems like a lot of pressure then. Um, Did you have a lot of that growing up by family and friends? Yeah, not from family. Not family, okay. So although I did have the support of my older sisters doing track and field as well, Mm -hmm. and my parents obviously driving us and doing all that and supporting us in the sport, my aunt, who I mentioned before about figure skating, she saw um, my potential which was great because she was a phys ed teacher in Northern Ontario. I grew Mm -hmm. up in London, Ontario. And what she did, instead of saying, like, you're going to be really, really good, keep doing what you're good at, she said, there's this thing called heptathlon, and I think that if you continue to do all the events and not just specialize really early, because I was really good at hurdles and really good at long jump, um, then, you know, it's not going to harm you, and you'll get to learn all the events, because she saw that's what I love to do. Yeah. So whereas sometimes if you're um, seen as talented, people want you to go and just like pursue that right. narrowly focused at a young age. And then you actually, I think you lose a lot of the athletic ability and mm. your own um, um, innate feel for the event when you're always doing the same thing over and over again. Yeah. So it wasn't pressure, but I did have guidance. And but still through high school, you know, it was almost like. Um, easy for me to use that card of I need to focus on track so if a boy wanted to go out with me and I wasn't really wanting to I'd just be like sorry I have to focus on track (laughs) and for me I'm like this is so lame but they were like okay I get it I was like oh my gosh (laughs) like (laughs) that's funny yeah that was my world so you had an excuse then that's funny um and then so growing up did you like what was your training routine like were you training like several days a week? Was that super tough for you? No, I no. It was so fun, and be, it was fun because I didn't focus on just track. Like I was an all-around athlete. That's why I did heptathlon. Right. So in the fall, I would do cross country, which was totally mm. di- different. It's a team event. It's uh, stamina, mentally totally different, pushing yourself in different ways, and I love that um, because I started as a distance runner, and I kind of even though it. I became more of a speed power athlete. I still mm-hmm. saw the purpose in this is going to help me in my track and field in the spring. And then through the school year, I would do volleyball, mm-hmm. another team event, which, you know, was a challenge for me because I was a very individual athlete. So I learned a lot through that, but I mm-hmm. love just the different aspects of the sports. And uh, through the winter, I would go to track and field practice with the club, but mm-hmm. only a couple times a week. It was like part time because right. I want to do the other things as well. So, um, yeah, it was funny because I, I was just in, ho- uh, in my hometown, London, Ontario, mm-hmm. and I found an old journal of when I was between grade seven and grade 10. And I, my, my last entry was actually, I think it must have been grade 10. Mm-hmm. And it said, I've decided, it wasn't until grade 10, I've decided I'm going to focus on trying to get to the Olympics. Oh, wow. Yeah, okay. in grade 10. And then it said, Unfortunately, I'm probably have to give up volleyball to do this, and I really don't want to. But I know mm. it. I know it takes 
hard work and focus to do this, right? So I, at that age already, I was hearing messages from media or other athletes about mm-hmm. what it takes to go to the Olympics. Meanwhile, I didn't give up volleyball, you know, yeah. but I had this idea like once you make the decision, it's all or nothing, right? Um, but it, it didn't evolve in that way. It's not like a, you wake up one day and you make a decision and you have to give up totally. everything. Yeah. Did you have any role models or inspirations? Um, I Well, besides I loved watching the Olympics and I actually mm-hmm. loved the winter. The win- I remember watching the Winter Olympics when they were in Calgary, right? Nice. Yeah. And all the figure skaters, we had such a good bunch of figure mm-hmm. skaters back then and we still do. Um, but loved it but I didn't relate to them in the way of I want to be there I just was so inspired by them stepping out there and putting Mm -hmm. their best out there whether they they don't there's no guarantee in sport right and when you're on the world stage you could fall flat on your face (laughs) or get that medal and I guess maybe the culture of being Canadian I just really loved um that vulnerability of the athletes it wasn't just about the medals it was just like wow these they tried to go for the gold and they fell short. That was so inspiring. That's amazing. Yeah. And what was the first time like when you tried out for the Olympics? Did you fail at any point or how did you go through that? Oh my (laughs) goodness. Yeah. So, (laughs) so, okay. So I would have never imagined my career would have been this long. So Mm -hmm. I ended up training for the 2016 Olympics, which I didn't make. Mm-hmm. Um, my first real shot was 2004. So that's like, okay. what, 12 years <laughs> of trying to get to the Olympics. Never mind the whole 10 years before that. Um, so my first real shot was 2004, Athens. And Athens, that's where the, that's where the Olympics started. I so wanted mm-hmm. to go to Greece. And that year, I actually got the standard. And it was in a, a, a meet in the spring in France where it's very, very windy and one of my events had too much wind on my back and that's in track and field for individual events. They don't count it. Um, and heptathlon, you can only compete in so many heptathlons in the year that um, they don't look at that. Mm-hmm. All I had to do was go to nationals a couple months later and do the lower standard to prove fitness. And I couldn't do it because I was injured. I was dealing with injuries. I was all caught up in the politics of things because I saw it right there. I had it in my grasp. And then Mm -hmm. I wasn't getting funding for treatments, for physio. And there was extra funding for developmental athletes that year. And I was applying for all these things. It felt like no one believed in me. Meanwhile, I'm like right there. And, you know, that was... So that's just the mindset I was in at that point. That's not really how I see it now. But the hardest part was afterwards when I wasn't selected for the team, but I could have actually um, put up an argument to say I got the standard and it should be counted as a standard Okay. because yeah. the win shouldn't be counting. Um, my coach told me, you know what, I don't think you should go anyways because this would be your first national team and you're young and naive mm-hmm. and I don't want to be a bad experience. And after that, although I love my coach and I ended up working with him for another, he brought me through two other Olympics, I just felt like, you know what, at that point, another contract with myself. I was like, if I'm going to get to Olympics, I got to do it on my own. I can't rely on anyone. I can't mm-hmm. rely on the sporting system to believe in me. I can't rely on my coach to believe in me. I got to do this on my own. So after that point, it was either, that was after like a lot of anger and sadness and I was going to actually quit. And then yeah. I took like, oh, you know what, no, I want to take back control and a different mindset going into the next years um to Beijing which was uh putting my head down and doing that whole athlete thing wow 
that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> it's intense. Yeah. You can probably feel the energy off of yeah. you just talking about it. <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about like the industry itself. How would you describe the culture of professional athletes and the Olympics mm-hmm. in like a sentence? Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> well, first of all, it's amateur athletes, right? For amateur, the Olympians. Okay. Yeah. Professionals completely different. So, okay. So, in one sentence, to be in the industry of amateur athletes to pursue the Olympics, you have to really want to do it for no other reason than seeing how far you can get in your own sport. I do not think you can do it for money. You can't do it even for recognition, not in Canada. And the system, um, athletes come and go, and that's how you're treated. So right. really, you, um, the industry is for athletes to have the opportunity to test themselves, to see how far they can get in a given sport, to see how well they're good at using resources they have, at getting team team and support around them. Some are lucky, some are more unlucky, some um, have chance and find great coaches, other people figure it out and have breakthrough moments where they finally will get the support. There's a lot of luck in it, and mm. just because you're talented at a young age, is not the equation of getting to Olympics. There's so much more to there's that. There's a lot more factors. A lot there. more factors, and there's a lot more that is not being said about the industry and about how to support athletes to pursue their dreams. Do you think you had a lot of luck? Absolutely. Absolutely. Definitely in the mentorships and the coaches I had at a young age. And, yeah, being Canadian. That helps, too. <laughs> <laughs> and if I did a winter sport, even more so, right? Yeah. Because we're competing. Summer athletes compete against so many more people in the world. <laughs> right. Um, can you tell us a little bit about, like, the level of competitiveness? Do you find, for the most part, that people try to bring each other up or do they tear each other down? So, like, athlete to athlete or if you're competing in the same race or... yeah. Okay, there's a lot to that question. And the heptathlon, specifically to the event, heptathlon is really great because everyone has good events and bad events. We're Mm -hmm. not all exceptional at every event. So in that aspect, we know that the competition is really against ourselves and that we're just trying to be consistent through the seven events. And Mm -hmm. whoever is at the top at the end is the winner. Whereas when I competed in the 100-meter hurdles, totally different story. Mm -hmm. And my first time at a world championships competing in the hurdles, I got a taste of that when I was in the call area when they, you, you do your warm-up and then you get called in and you have to sit around before going out to compete. And one of the best athletes in the world in the hurdles made a comment to me and she said, um, why I got to be stressing? And she said it in such a like casual way. I actually like looked around me like, is she talking to me? It was such a different experience I've wow. ever had. Like no one would do that in the heptathlon. It's just like you focus on yourself, right? Yeah. And I was like, she just tried to psych me out. I'm like, I'm not, I'm, in my head, I'm like, I'm not stressing. I'm not stressing. And then I was like, I'm just, what the? <laughs> so in that aspect, it depends what event you do, right? Or maybe do you think she was saying it like, why are you stressing this much? Like I wasn't stressing. It, oh, you weren't. I was okay. completely. You were calm. <laughs> oh, I was in my my sweet spot until huh. she said that, and then I was like, um, "Was I? Am I what?" But it just <laughs> totally caught me off guard. I was not ready for that. So, um, and I'm sure men do the same thing. It's not just women. So. Yeah. 
But in general, being an um, a Olympian or a, a national team member in Calgary, we have a great support team here because we have the Canadian Sports Institute. Most of them are winter athletes because we have the speed skating and the right. skiing close by and the bobsled and whatnot. Um, so amongst that culture, it's very supportive because um, we do different sports, but we kind of use the same resources. But when you make a national team, it's all or nothing. You know, it's all or nothing, and um, you don't really care if the other person. Well, that's not true. You know, you get to know the athletes over the years, and right. um, yeah, I think there's a camaraderie around um, athletes. And when you go to the Olympics in the Olympic Village. It, it, it finally when everything else is like you made it and you can just focus on your performance that's when everyone can really put mm-hmm. down their armor and not be in that protection mode and just be themselves more of like we did it yeah. we did it we're here okay more now supportive. go go have fun and do your thing <laughs> yeah. nice. Um are you superstitious did you have a pre-competition ritual uh, maybe a little bit when I was young just nothing big nothing that I could really remember but maybe it's like tying my left shoe before my right um, but mm. as an adult, my superstition was I had to have a, a breakdown two days before <laughs> the event with doubt oh, no. and hesitation <laughs> and calling up my husband or whoever and saying, I can't do this. I'm not ready. And as soon as that was done, I was good and I was ready to go. So it's not a superstition. It was just kind of my pattern. <laughs> gotcha. All right. So. You had a baby in 2009. You came back. Obviously, it didn't seem to affect you very much because you did amazing. Um, But what was that like having a baby coming back? Were you super nervous? Were you not going to come back at all? Tell us a little bit about that process. Um, In making the decision to come back, um, it was just the decision was made. And I didn't know what that would look at that time. In 2009, not a lot of athletes came back from having babies. Mm-hmm. Nowadays, it's a lot more common. I'd like to say I kind of paved the way a bit in the track and field world in Canada. But um, I had no resources there to pull on, and neither did my coach. You know, he's an Eastern European, like... <laughs> you know, he's just like... It was kind of funny, right? Our first practice back after having a baby, it was just him and I, and he's just like, okay, let's just do a little circuit, see where you're at. I was like, yeah, I've been walking a lot, pushing the stroller. I'm strong from holding the baby all the time, right? I can do this, right? And after like a little like jog around the track, he's like, okay, do 10 push-ups. It's like, okay, coach. I get down. My first push-up, I literally like fall on my face. And we just laugh. I was like, I guess I'm going back to the, well, I've never done girly or girl push-ups in my life, but that's where I have to, on my knees or whatever they call it. Yeah. I know about those. Yeah. So, um, but you remember quickly. So I, although I didn't know what I was doing and it was a bit, you know, Mm -hmm. in a way it was a bit exciting at first because I saw how quickly my body remembered and I I gained a lot more respect for my body through the pregnancy and the labor and delivery process like that was eye-opening for me as an athlete to be like oh my gosh my body really knows what it's doing and I maybe sometimes I just need to step out of the way right totally so that was great knowledge to bring into the next phase of my career and my coach was super like athlete led like you need to tell me how you're feeling we're going to go with this and I'm going to do what we can do so mm-hmm. it brought us closer together and being able to communicate better and for me to focus he said I was more focused when I came to the track than I was before because 
I think because I was in such a survival mode between being a mother of a new baby and trying to get back to training, which was all exhausting, that I had to shut it off when I went when I left the track, I shut it off. Mm-hmm. And when I came back to track, I shut it on. So I was like, okay, this is my hour. I'm ready. Like, this is like my yeah. free time, my play time. I'm ready to go. So I was more ready. And I kind of really valued that time with my coach to be able to do focus training. Whereas before it was just like, yeah. okay, just another day at the track. And how long after did you start training again after having the baby? Um, it wasn't until um, six, uh, very gradually, maybe four or five months after, maybe six oh, months. Wow. That's very soon. <laughs> like very gradually. Um, mm-hmm. Some people train through the entire pregnancy and then get back at it right after. Um, so let me just think here. Six, because I got married six months after and I wasn't trained before that. So maybe it was after six months. Okay. Yeah, it was after six months, but very gradual. Wow, that's intense. <laughs> yeah, my first competition was the Commonwealth Games that summer. So... She was born in May 2009, and I competed in July 2010 at the Commonwealth Games and got a silver there. That okay. was like, oh, wow. Like, damn. <laughs> um, <laughs> does your daughter have any aspirations similar to yours right now? Is she playing any sports? Well, her dad, so unfortunately we're divorced now, but her dad was Olympic water polo player in 2008. Oh, yeah. Wow. So nice. she got into the the water pool and mm-hmm. she likes that but she's very competitive and I see it starting to come out and that's going to be her forte for sure uh she hasn't done a lot of track I think it's probably too young for her to do club track and they mm-hmm. don't have it in schools they don't have it in schools out here what yeah uh, they don't have it in schools they don't have even cross country or well at least at her school oh, wow yeah, so she's kind of missing that little, like, being able to explore in different sports yeah. at school. So that sucks. But she sees me, and she comes out sometimes to my... I do dry land training for sometimes ho- young hockey kids or other athletes, mm-hmm. and sometimes she joins, and it's really, it's really great because she's getting a different experience with being on the land and doing coordination and body awareness stuff and just... Um, focusing in a different way than you would when you're in a team sport. Very cool. Yeah. Uh, what advice would you give to kids or youth who are training or aspiring to be in the Olympics? Um, you know what? Kids are doing it for the right reasons at that stage. I would almost give advice to parents. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would give advice to parents. And that's kind of where I see kind of my 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 mentorship kind of going. I, I can work with kids or, or even young adults. Mm-hmm. In sport, but I think, you know, to really support an athlete, the parents are so influential, they need to be on the same page as an athlete. And that athlete knows that they have the drive or the passion or um, the joy for playing the sport. That's the most Mm -hmm. important thing. Sometimes the pressure expectations from the parents and whatnot can kill that. So my advice for parents would be to... um, (laughs) My advice for parents would be to practice their own zone state. Now, what I mean by that is athletes get into a zone state when they compete mm-hmm. and they can get pulled in and out of that easily. It's almost like um, contagious, right? So if you have a coach who's not in their zone, so they're like looking incompetent, they're worried, they're stressed. Um, the athletes, when they're saying, you got to work harder, 
and the coach is stressing because he's feeling insecure about the end result, mm-hmm. the athletes are going to be looking at him thinking, I don't feel confident about this. He's saying to you can do it, but I don't feel that, right? Yeah. So for parents, they need to know, and I know they know, but for an athlete to get to the world-class level or even the national level, there's going to be a lot of ups and downs. The athlete's not going to progress in a nice little beautiful uh, line going straight up like a mountain. They're going to have ups and downs. They're going to have coaches that cut them or do things that are not in their best interest. Mm-hmm. They're going to choose maybe to leave sport for a bit because they're not liking the experience, right? To know that it's... Um, that they need to hold their own, they need to hold their own zone and know that the parents are not affected by the child's um, results in mm-hmm. a game or in a practice and that um, shows competency in their kids. And it shows trust that the kid will able to get there. And there's nothing more than a parent holding that space for the child that no matter what happens in this game, I, um, I'm here to support you. No matter if you choose to take a break from hockey this season, I support you. It's the child's emotional and mental needs that come first over any performance because performances go up and down, up and down all the time. And that's part of the learning process of the kid to be great one day. And you don't want to take that away. You don't want them to be afraid to fail. Absolutely. It's good advice. What would you say is the most rewarding part about your journey, your career? Mm -hmm. Um, I think it is... You know, speaking about the journey, the most rewarding part is um, is having that goal and making your way there and going through ups and downs. And it's not in the moment that I have that perspective. And actually, it didn't come to me. I had um, when I got to Olympics, so I met my goal. I was being interviewed um, by media in the village before I competed, and he asked me, "So, what does what does it feel like? You met your your goal, your, your dream. You're here." I didn't think of it until you asked me. And in that moment, I felt like sadness is the first feeling I felt. I wasn't like, oh, yay, like excitement. I just can't wait to go out there. I was like, you know what? Looking back, knowing everything I had to go through to get here, if I had known that that was going to get me here, mm-hmm. um, I would have been able to enjoy that journey more. So I, I said, you know, I feel a bit sad, not because... I didn't enjoy it. I did, but because it's over, the journey's over. Like I didn't even have to compete to feel that reward. The reward was in the journey. And that's why I was sad. It was over. I was like, it's done. I can't keep on pursuing something when I'm already here. Right. You've done what you wanted to do. That's that. I totally understand that. Um, do you have any regrets? Yeah. You know what? And I don't think like the whole, you know, hard work pays off. And if you put in the work that you'll have no regrets, I don't know if it's just like the Virgo in me or the um, just my mindset around um, being a heptathlete. Like there's always room for improvement because you do so many events. There's always room for improvements that I see. I see where I could have done better at. And one of the places I could have done better at was um, being less hard on myself and having more faith in the in the outcome. In that no matter what happens, no matter if I reach the goals I think I need to reach to be happy mm-hmm. that I was going to be okay and I could be fulfilled knowing no matter what happens I'll be fine and I didn't find that in myself I didn't find that like happiness in myself I was still pursuing something else to finally feel if I do this when I get here I will feel like I I did everything I did and I'll feel fulfilled 
mm-hmm. and I didn't give myself credit along the way that I was doing the work and that I could be happy with my efforts regardless. Right. It was kind of like never enough kind of approach. Gotcha. Let's get into the Instagram questions I got oh, okay. from yeah. listeners. Woohoo. Okay. The first one, this is a good one. What do you think is the greatest misconception people have about Olympic athletes? Well, they should tell me what their misconceptions are. <laughs> I'm kind of. <laughs> um, I think, I think media does a horrible job at per, uh, uh, portraying Olympic athletes, mm-hmm. and we kind of have to follow the rules because they only show up f- once every four years, right? So mm-hmm. when they finally take an interest, you kind of just have to give them what they want. Um, and I, I struggled with that a bit, and because you appreciate the the support but then in the end they don't know they don't know everything you've been through they just talk about what's mm-hmm. there in the moment so i think the biggest misconception about olympic athletes is that um we just go into our bubble for four years we train and then we come out and um we talk about perseverance determination about hard work about never giving up about mm-hmm. like we're just these like robots um, that are so focused and so disciplined, like, my gosh, if you saw me at home after practices <laughs> some days, there's none of that, you know? If you if you put a bag of chips or cookies in my house, you will not see <laughs> perseverance and discipline, right? The discipline is not buying it, right? Yeah. But it's not like we we have this um, this character trait that no one else can get. You know, you, you learn how to work with your strengths and you work with your weaknesses and every athlete have different strengths and weaknesses and I don't think we should be labeled as this like this like this is what you need to be to be an athlete at the best no there's exceptions all the time and there's always room to improve in other areas and um I think I guess my advice for the young kids is that if you don't feel like you're disciplined or at some point along the way you've been told you're not disciplined enough or you Mm -hmm. need to focus or you don't have it character traits like that can be learned just like any other skill. Mm-hmm. You learn how to shoot a puck, you can learn how to find discipline and how to be, not only have discipline, be a role model with that character trait through your habits, through your choices throughout the day, not just when you show up on the ice, right? So it's not just about, that's the thing, it's a lifestyle for the athlete and we're constantly learning how to bridge sport and real life because some of us are really good at sports and really crummy at real life and mm-hmm. we can't bridge our character traits from sport or if we do if we have that like head down um go for it attitude and we try to bring it that into our relationships guess what it doesn't work so yeah. there's a lot of like um there's a lot of um, disconnect for athletes I think in that we're seen as these wonderful people but we can't have some of us can't have real relationships in our life because it just doesn't, totally, you know? Yeah. yeah. Next question. <laughs> I'm sorry. <but laughs> you, you, in okay. one sentence. <laughs> um, have you ever considered doping? Controversial question here. <laughs> <laughs> Great question. I love the straight up questions, honestly. Okay, that's a great question. And... My answer to that is I was I was trying to I tried to stay naive about doping in sport because it really bothered me. And if my coach mentioned anything about another athlete suspecting their doping, I would just tell him to like be quiet. I don't want to know. Right. Mm -hmm. Because I felt like, okay, well, what am I going to do about it? Am I going to like start doping? So when the idea around it 
came up, I was like, okay, well, I don't want to dope because that's against obviously anything. Talk about regret, right? Yeah. But maybe <laughs> I can like trick myself and trick my body because the mind and body is connected. So if I take a vitamin C and pretend it's like, I don't even know what they take for doping, to be honest. I don't think they take testosterone anymore. I don't, I don't, I don't know. know. That's how naive I am. <laughs> uh, if I take this, the placebo effect, placebo, yeah. the placebo effect will make me somehow faster, stronger, or higher or whatever. And uh, I'll do that. That'll be my doping. But because the people in Canada, they come to your door unannounced, they can test you at any point. Mm-hmm. Right. So it was awful with a young child because they come at six o'clock in the morning. And my daughter just fell back asleep and just like, oh, you God. just woke her up. <laughs> I need a train today. <laughs> like, <laughs> so it was horrible. I was actually afraid that the placebo was going to work and I couldn't even mentally commit to pretending I was doping with a vitamin C. <laughs> Get addicted to vitamin C. <laughs> Wouldn't be the worst, but <laughs> yeah, I think it was probiotic. I was going to do it with <laughs> That's funny. Um, what would you say is the estimated percentage of athletes who are doping? Hmm. You know what? I think you know what? This is, I'm glad these questions are coming up mm-hmm. because when um, I was competing, I saw myself on cycling forums and people commenting on how I'm doping and stuff. And it's obviously probably really prevalent in some sports like cycling or whatnot. In track and field, absolutely, I'm sure. Um, heptathlon, you know what, I'd like to say less of because we do a variety of events and to dope in one specific for uh, endurance or whatever won't help. Yet, uh, my placement keeps going up. So I was originally sixth in Beijing, then I went to fifth, and then I went to fourth because of doping and because they hold the sample for 10 years mm. and because the athletes are ahead of the system, the system can kind of start catching up after 10 wow. years. Yeah, so... Um, So technically, some athletes are doping, but they don't consider themselves doping because they're ahead of the system. So it's not illegal yet until they figure it out. So I think a lot of athletes are, you know, ahead. Canadian athletes, I wouldn't say so. And I think the main reason why is because it's not worth it. Like drugs cost money to be ahead. You need like scientists and doctors and whatnot. You need to pay them. It needs to be financially, you need to have a financial, um, return on it when you Mm -hmm. win a medal in Canada you don't get much of anything you don't get huge sponsors you don't get a pension in Hungary and other places you get pensions Hmm. um in China you get a home to like for the rest of your life to for your family really right Russia no you're talking about them (laughs) so I get why athletes choose to dope um because it's other that or poverty in Canada, we're not faced with the that stark reality, and um, yeah. I'm happy that I'm in a system where we're not pressured to do that. Wow, I'm learning so much. <laughs> Next question I have is, per 1,000 people, which country do you think has the best athletes based on your experience and what you've seen? <laughs> <laughs> it's a very specific question. Per 1,000. We have some uh, uh, yeah, pretty good sports fans out there. Yeah. And I'm not really a sports fan, to be honest. So oh, I don't really? like go crazy on stats and analyzing these things. Um, and I don't even know if they're talking about track and field or just sports, just athletes. Obviously, like the bigger pool you can draw from, the better, right? So we have yeah. Americans have tons of population there, right? And the collegiate system's amazing to support athletes, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so they don't fall off the bandwagon after they... 
you know, they have all that support. So the biggest thing is athlete retention. Um, to be able to get the athlete at the highest level, they need to get through all of that developmental stage and whatnot so they can start making the, their national teams and whatnot. Mm-hmm. So I guess the best countries with the best systems to retain athletes and have the biggest pool to draw from have the biggest chance. But I don't know what I'm not going to. I, you know, I have no, I can't comment there because yeah. I just don't know. I would just give out fluff right now. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> how do you deal with injuries and how badly do they take a toll on you? Yeah, injuries, um, it's one of those things that an athlete doesn't get better at coping with, I don't think. So, like, your first injuries are just as dramatic and hard to overcome than injuries later in your career because... Mm-hmm. Although you have the knowledge later in your le- in career to know like, okay, it's a process, I've got to change my game plan, just step by step, get the right support around it. It's just like, I just did this already. I just got injured or I just overcame this or I just, I'm finally getting my feet on the ground and then you get injured again. Mm-hmm. So there's no kind of relief or no safe place for injuries, to, I mean, for athletes to feel like they're, they're in, the, in the open with these things. It's always a threat. So... Mm-hmm. Knowing that's part of the game, um, the best way to deal with it is to just, if you get injured, to really commit to the steps, again, back on your feet without rushing the process because that can just make it worse. Mm-hmm. And mentally, emotionally, if you're trying to rush it and you know you're being hesitant in training, that's like, we're talking about the zone and no zone. When you train in no zone, like you can't possibly be training in flow when mm-hmm. you're hesitant about something, then you just make yourself more susceptible to injury. So right. they don't teach this to athletes and they don't teach this that as a part of the rehab um, plan is to like only do things where you feel like you can be in that zone state because your body will remember quicker where it wants to go. It shows the outcome and it doesn't start because your body's very smart, it will just start compensating. Mm-hmm. Um, otherwise, if you train and try to get through training, it will compromise to trying to get the work done, but then you're going to be stuck with another injury down the road. All right. Um, last Instagram question. Mm-hmm. Have you ever struggled to build an identity for yourself outside of athleticism? Deep question. <laughs> uh... <laughs> <laughs> So I'm just an athlete. What are you talking about? What identity outside of? <laughs> that answers the question. <laughs> well, yeah, not to go off again, because that's, I could talk a whole podcast on that. But basically, I got into sport when I was in grade four. And the reason why I hooked, got hooked on it, because it was one thing I felt I could express myself in a way that I didn't feel I could in anywhere else in my life. I wasn't mm-hmm. good at school. I couldn't make good friends. I had problems in learning. And this, I was like, I can get this. I understand this. This is me. And then when everyone throws that on, you're going to Olympics, you're in Olympics. I was like, yeah, I guess this is me. Everyone sees that too. And then when your whole childhood and adult experience even through motherhood, and you're you're 38 years old, and you realize um, this is who I am because this is all I've experienced. But now I need to change careers, be something totally different, and now be at the bottom and not at the mm-hmm. top of the world. Um, I think you need to take your strengths and what you learned through that, but also know that they may not and probably will not serve you in your next thing unless you're very competitive and to to really break things down and choose again what you want 
Um, and those character traits, like I said, like maybe I need to build different character traits that are going to be more helpful in what I want to do next. And that's mm-hmm. changing a bit of your identity, a bit about your who you think you need to be mm-hmm. on the outside to be accepted in the world. And that's scary. That's yeah. super scary. Right? Terrifying. <laughs> Especially when you're like praised for your what you were and you're just like, I can't be like that anymore because it's not working. Yeah, absolutely. Um, to kind of close things off, do you want to tell us about your business and what you're doing now? Huh. Well... <laughs> Yeah, so I did, it was um, a great partnership with the Canadian Olympic Committee and the Smith School of Business, and I was accepted into doing my Master's in Entrepreneurship Innovation Management um, in 2016-17 because I felt I had zero experience in life and in in business, and I knew Mm -hmm. I wanted to do my own thing because that's what I was used to doing my whole life as an athlete. Um, So I'm basically... um, Discovering, I I was first, my first job after retiring was being a track and field coach at a club mm-hmm. because I had nothing else and I thought that makes sense, right? And so I was very resistant to doing coaching, but what I found is I really love coaching and it's mm-hmm. not just like I should do this because I know all the events and whatnot. And not only do I love coaching, I love working with kids at all different levels and athletes from all different sports because I really feel like they are missing that extra emotional and mental support to help um, them accelerate quicker in their sport, right? So it's not just mm-hmm. like, okay, let's just baby you over here so you feel better about what you do. No, your goal is still to reach these, to make this team, to be a leader in your team. How are we going to get there? It's not just going to be about working hard. That has limitations. So yeah. that's what I'm doing now. I'm working one-on-ones through Skypes with older athletes who have the capability to make decisions for themselves um, through their habits and mindsets on a daily basis and um, working more so on the field in dryland training, whatnot, and kind of bringing in these elements as kids train to kind of bring more intention into, okay, why mm-hmm. are we doing this? Okay, so this exercise frustration is going to come up or talking about it afterwards and how they deal with it and saying yeah. it's all right. That's what sport is. Frustration it can be a good thing. And um, um, with, find out what works for you, not just what you feel like you need to do to yeah. be an athlete. A lot of mindset stuff yeah. too then for yeah. sure. So that's what I'm doing right now. Cool. And everything's on my website, jessicazelinka, Z-E-L-I-N-K-A.com. And that's where Perfect. I can be reached at. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on and sharing your story, your journey, your advice and everything. Um, I really learned a lot. So yeah, thank you. Thanks. Hopefully this isn't a two hour episode. 